I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. The sports industry has had a meteoric rise. As a result, it has created a vacuum of pressure on aspiring athletes as the caliber of competition advances exponentially. The effects have led to early signs of declining participation as young athletes focus on a singular sport early on and unexpectedly, income equality is a growing concern as well. In addition, a lack of qualified coaches, proper equipment, and misguided training is accelerating injuries through overuse. Severe tendonitis, you know, things, things that really shouldn't come about in you know, a 13 or 14-year-old. We were seeing those things happen. Sports performance centers, previously exclusive for collegiate and professional athletes are now creating safe spaces for youth athletes to receive proper training and recovery to achieve their goals. The Mamba Sports Academy is a shining example of how exactly to execute one. This is Spaces Podcast, where we aim to elevate the appreciation and understanding of the spaces we occupy every day. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey everyone. And Jason is out. We will discuss that in a second. I don't know how will much. Will we? I don't know how I much. I don't know that our to. listeners need to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jason's out. Uh, we'll let him tell his story next season. But thank you for joining us again. We are doing a live recording of this podcast 
today we are discussing sports performance training centers. We're going to get into that a little bit and talk a little bit more about what that means exactly. But I wanted to quickly say thank you to all of our guests this season and I'm going to try to go one by one. Oh, we've uh, had some good guests. Yeah, so I want to acknowledge everybody uh, and I'm going to screw this up every time. Chris Preck, it's German last name, very hard for me to get, uh, from Preck, Evan Troxel, HMC and Arky Speak Podcast, Anthony Laney from Laney LA, Mark LePage from Entre Architect, Eric Reinholdt from 30 by 40 Workshop, uh, Meta Omont from Omont Plum, Anthony Winston III, uh, Winston Engineering, Kelly Liu from EI Companies, Amir Rezai and Stephanie Vito from Canon Design, Erlene Hatfield from Hatfield Group, and Lucas Reams, shout out for setting up that uh, interview with Erlene, and Francisco Gonzalez Polito from FPG Atelier, uh, Travis Mahoney from Matterform Architecture and Development, Nathaniel Muller from WIT Studio, Brad Glauser from Edify Studios, Ken Ryan from KTGY, Styx, David Olson from David Olson Architects. I think I got everybody. Sounds like you got everyone. If I missed you, I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, I will put you in the credits or something later on. Yeah, and how about a shout out for Demetrius for the curator of all of our content uh thank you thank you thank you i will add a applause there later (laughs) perfect (laughs) uh so this is the end of our second season michelle it's hard to believe yeah it kind of flew by uh, did when now that i say it uh, in retrospect but if this is the end of our second season that technically means i only missed half of a season right because i came on in july of 2018 yeah Okay. Uh, yeah, so you just missed See, that. So you can half. almost call me an OG. Yeah. Right. Close to it. Yeah. Got it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, you only missed, like, I think the first five, maybe. Okay. Five or six. All right. I feel good about that. Yeah. Um, so how did you how did you feel about this season? I loved this season. I, I think our content level um, just really raised the bar. Yeah. And, I, you know, these guest speakers that we had were phenomenal. Having you know, true professionals versus us just pontificating about what we think we know. (laughs) Um, I think just really changed the level of of what we're doing here and trying to do. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge applause for the folks that came on to speak with us and share us, uh, share with us what they know. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Learned a ton, uh, both in doing research and speaking with them. Yeah. Um, A lot of things you just don't think about uh, from building type to building type. And there's just like little nuances that you would never think of For or sure. pay any attention to walking by every For day. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it was good to get the the people that do it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I and, think also the the production value. Um, and that's all you, Demetrius. So when I say, <laughs> you know, a shout out to you, it's, it's true. I mean, you're the brains behind the operation and you're also the one mixing and doing all the sound quality and you know, just making it really feel like an engaging podcast versus three people just talking together yeah. and that being recorded. Yeah. So, you know, the production value this year, I was blown away at just what it was last year versus what it was to this year. Yeah. And I, it's, it's awesome to see. Thank and you. And it was a lot of fun to do yeah. as well. Hopefully I can uh, get some assistance in to 
handle some of the editing at some point soon. So uh, we'll have some hopefully announcements coming up uh, next season. So stay with us. And we got a lot of good content coming up for next season. We'll tease that a little bit later on. Um, So stay to the end to hear that. Um, And then we got a game that we're going to play later on with the, with the special guests. So we'll uh, get to that and talk a little bit more about it when we get there. Um, one question I have for you uh, before we move off of season two, Michelle, was, was there anything, we talked a little bit about how there's little things that you don't notice. Um, was there anything between, of any of the guests of what they brought to the interview um, about a specific space that stood out or maybe the way that they run their business or anything like that, something that changed the way that you look at things or do things on a day-to-day basis? So I think two guest speakers um, were exciting for me. So my favorite episode was the stadiums episode with okay. Erlene. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I just thought that was such a huge get. And I mentioned that when we recorded that podcast yeah. and we had watched um, – what program was it called building giants or something like that yeah i think so and it had you know it aired on you know television and it was kind of a big deal and yeah it was on the discovery channel and she'd been interviewed on the discovery channel and then she's on talking to us on this podcast and i was like holy cow how do we (laughs) how do we secure her um and so just her women-owned business and the mind behind not only the architecture of of what she's doing but the structural side and the engineering side and Everything that went into the Mercedes Stadium is just mind-blowing. It's crazy when you think about, you know, how that all comes together. Yeah. And she was she was such an instrumental part of that project. So that was really cool. Um, the other speaker who I thought was just super dynamic was Kelly Liu hmm. uh, mm-hmm. with EI. And it was funny. I'd never known Kelly prior to this podcast. And then I actually needed to have a sustainability consultant for an RFP response. And so I had reached out to her and, you know, we've now kind of worked together and we participated in the same interview to hopefully win this RFP. So that was kind of neat because it translated into, you know, my real business. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, So one of our other guests, uh, Anthony, he uh, gave some content for the cannabis uh, facility Uh episode. I actually... Got, I'm going to work with him on a project pretty soon here. We're in talks on that. Um, and then I found out one of our one of my clients, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but one of my clients is also a listener. Okay. Uh, actually, two. So it's it's interesting how this podcast is kind of becoming a little family and network. So Yeah, and all organic. I mean, yeah. I would say none of this is forced. I, I would never have thought that I'd be reaching out to one of our guest speakers saying, <laughs> hey, you know, you've got a skill set that might be beneficial to my project. Yeah. Can we work together? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, for my one, the, the episodes that stood out to me were probably the the people that were uh, the small firm or, or solo, solo practitioner, mm-hmm. um, specifically Chris Prech. I just had to make myself say it again. Yeah. Just uh, torturing yourself there. Yeah. Uh, Eric Reinhold and Mark LePage, particularly because they are approaching architecture in like completely different ways, uh, completely non-traditional. Chris is, um, he's doing half projects that he just wants to do. Like they're not right. going to be built and then have projects that he's actually contracting and he's getting paid for. Right. Which is 
there's not many people that do that. It Some gives the, them so much creative freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. So you get to really flex your design muscle yeah. and, and come up and work through things. And I think one of the projects that he actually did uh, just for on his own ended up turning into a project and they're building it right now. Hmm. Um, so him and then Eric, who's doing something not so he's he's doing a lot of youtube content and has a creative he's like making films and products and he's doing things in that way that's his his um his uh own sort of avenue like chris's yeah and then he has projects that he actually traditionally works on and those are you know projects that he specifically wants to work on so he's very cautious about the kind that he brings in and then mark is going he has a traditional practice as well but he has the podcast that he does and he's building a whole platform that helps small firm architects get better right so just pulling little pieces from everybody and kind of how they think Mm -hmm. was really inspired inspiring for me yeah and that was part of our um evolution of architecture series that let the let the season so if you haven't heard it um definitely worth going back to listen to those the the stadium one and the um evolution of architecture podcast so any other thoughts for season two before i move on no um i'm just it's it went by fast yeah (laughs) it's hard to believe i mean it's hard to believe that the year's over yeah but just you know i think the the episodes that we did um I'm looking forward to seeing what season three brings. Yeah. You know, even e- I'm a host and I don't actually know what the, uh, what the whole content list is yet for yeah. season three. So I look yeah. forward to that being revealed. Yeah. Um, so again, stay to the end. We'll, we'll mention that at the end. Uh, but now we want to introduce a guest. Um, so just a little background on our Instagram. And this is a reminder, follow us on all social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for now. I've uh, been trying to get to YouTube at some point, and I think we have to jump on this TikTok boat. Um, so at some point, we'll get there. But make sure you follow us on all of those platforms because we end up doing different content per uh, social media platform just because of ease to share mm-hmm. things and whatnot. So make sure you follow us. Um, but on Instagram, we did a quiz after each episode. Insta stories. Yeah, the Insta story twi- uh, quiz. That's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, on Tuesday. And we had a guest, or all of our guests, or all of our listeners that wanted to participate came in every, uh, went to our Instagram stories every week or every other week to participate in the quiz. There is usually like three or four questions. And the total of correct questions by the end got to be a guess. This guess won by one point. Wow. One question. I took myself out of the running. I felt like it was an unfair advantage. Yeah. I didn't really count you when you played anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for that. Appreciate it. So uh, wanted to bring in our guest. She uh, graduated in June of 2018 with a Bachelor's of Architecture degree from the other Cal Poly. Cal Poly Slow. (laughs) She works at Eris Studio Architects in Portland, and she's on her way, fast on her way to getting her AREs all finished up. Got one more to go. Um, so we will bring in our guest, Laura Dion. <laughs> Laura, 
Thanks for joining us. Thanks for playing the quiz. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being a faithful listener. <laughs> yeah. So, Laura, uh, how long have you actually been listening? Uh, I think I started pretty much from the beginning. I saw one of your posts about it. Okay. And I think, I mean, we know each other. I met you when I interned at KTGY. Yeah. Um, but I know, I think Joe had mentioned it to me, too. Yeah. So I started listening from that point. Yeah. Kind of what you were saying, the nuances of each specific area and learning more about topics I might not have really thought about before. And architecture is all about learning. So, yeah. What, uh, the, the firm that you're at now, what do you guys, what's your practice? Yeah. Um, so we're pretty small, maybe. 25 people, but we're spanned over three offices. So each office feels pretty small, but we do a variety of projects from historical renovation to hotels wow. to mixed use multifamily retail. Hmm. It's really nice to be able to see a variety of projects and kind of the differences between them. Are all of your projects in the Portland area? No. So we're primary. The majority of our projects are in California. Oh, wow. A couple up here and in some of the other states on the West Coast. So you, I mentioned that you're pretty close to passing your AREs. What's the last one that you have? Uh, PDD, Project Development and Design. Those CDs. Oh, okay. That's, you should be able to handle that one. Yeah. That's not too bad. With all the specific Yeah. uh, yeah okay cool well congratulations on getting five done that's huge get that here's to hopefully 2020 yeah (laughs) yeah knock that one out okay uh oh quick question for you so of the episodes that you've heard i don't know if you've listened to all the episodes but do you have a favorite that has stood out don't be bashful about answering the new girl from uh, July of 2018. <laughs> you know the exact <laughs> the exact time. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot that resonate with me. I liked hearing your guys' perspective on the season, the past season when you talk we're talking about career planning. Oh yeah. Yeah. The different routes in which one can take like while staying within the building industry. Um, And then in terms of this season, I think I appreciated the detail of the accessory dwelling unit episode. Mm. Oh yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Like the process and how it is changing as uh, cities are being more impacted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was, that was a good episode. Really enjoyed that one too. Uh, Travis being the designer. Yep. The resident, uh, and then sort of a landlord yeah. at the same time because of it. Yeah, that was a interesting um, perspective that he was able to to give. Yeah, and I think too that topic is going to become more and more relevant and prevalent um, in twenty twenty and beyond as California, particularly in California, and, and maybe other places too, but particularly in California, given some of the legislation that's come out recently and in, in the need for housing and the pressure 
that local governments are are facing to provide housing. Yeah. And that, you know, in a lot of ways can act as um, an alternative yeah. uh, for, you know, either low or very low income housing um, or in some cases even moderate housing just as, as that secondary, you know, uh, rental option. Yeah. And we mentioned in the episode, but uh, Minnesota had gotten rid of their single family designation. Um, and I think there's some other uh, locations following suit. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of evolves over the next couple of years. So let's jump into the topic today. Uh, so let's talk sports performance training centers. I wanted to ask you, uh, Laura and Michelle, uh, who wants to start? I'll go with you, Laura. What's your... Yeah, you're, you're our guest. You yeah, first. Guest, <laughs> guest first. What's your understanding, your current understanding of a sports performance uh, training center? I'll take the hot seat. <laughs> Probably, honestly, not much. I did play basketball growing up, but I wouldn't designate like where I played as a sports performance center. I think there's a lot more intensity to that. Okay. Um, in terms of combining the different aspects of what I would assume for a sport. Yeah. Michelle, you have a current perception or thought of what you think a sports performance center is? So I guess when I think sports performance center, I mean, I have zero experience with what that is, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never been to one. Uh, you know, my I think my initial perception is that it's something reserved for really elite athletes, yeah. you know, athletes that are training for the Olympics or that are um, you know, on the path to becoming professional athletes. Uh, I, I tend to not think of it as something that would be accessible to just you or me, yeah. you know, as, as people maybe that are, you know, fitness focused or maybe have, you know, an experience playing sports growing up. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know anything about them. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm excited to talk about that as a space. Yeah. So we, uh, we toured, we toured or, Got a chance to tour the Mamba Sports uh, Sports Academy in Thousand Oaks, super far away from us. Uh, quite a drive and really cool space. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but a lot, I think some people, maybe general public, uh, may get confused between a sports uh, performance center and like... 24-hour fitness yeah, gym. or yeah just a gym uh, what's the other one equinox um la fitness yeah yeah so that's still a gym that's still just a normal gym even though they have trainers even though they have higher end equipment um that's still just a gym sports performance is about maxing your body out like pushing it to the limits right uh and it goes beyond just the physical right doesn't it yeah it, touches on the mental yeah um, and the nutrition yeah and how are you burning how are you creating as much fuel and then burning all of that fuel yeah right yeah so there's there's a there's a science to it and then there, the interesting thing is that it does affect kind of how you design the space hmm. um so this was a warehouse that mamba sports uh, academy is in um and you'll hear a little bit more about that in a second but 
it's a uh, it's very interesting to 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 hear about it and kind of the differences and the, the the amount of thought that goes into kind of laying out these spaces so to understand more about sports performance training centers you got to go back in time Sixth century BCE. The earliest known fitness gym is built in Greece. However, after the fall of the Greco-Roman empires, the appreciation and pursuit of a sculpted body was frowned upon until the 1800s. As the appreciation for fitness rekindled, sports medicine and sports science began to take form. Notably, Italian physiologist Angelo Masso presented his findings on research into muscular fatigue and the relationship between training, strength, and endurance. Relatively quickly, the growing interest in fitness led schools to develop athletic programs, sports viewership reached all-time highs, and televised sporting events came to market. Meanwhile, shortly after World War II, Russia set aim to have the best athletes and soldiers in the world but techniques were largely unknown for some time, but we'll come back to that later. In sports, toughness has been a revered trait of iconic athletes. Manchester City goalie Bert Troutman finishing the 1956 FA Cup with a broken neck, Ronnie Lott playing in a 1985 NFL playoff game with a crushed finger that eventually had to be amputated or Kerry Strug's iconic vault on a sprained ankle that helped the U.S. gymnastics team win gold in 1996. Television broadcasts promoted this lore to the masses. This unprecedented access made athletes idols, inspiring generations to mimic them. But in 1984, one specific player took sports popularity to another level. At one guard, and now the noise factor begins to really increase. Here is the man. They call him Mr. Jordan in Chicago. The standing ovation. A 6'6 rookie guard from North Carolina made his debut for the Chicago Bulls, taking the NBA by storm and quickly becoming a global icon. Many remember Jordan's flu game in 1997. He was heralded as the model for toughness in the NBA, playing all 82 games in eight of his 13 seasons. His brand was one of the first to really impact multiple markets, becoming the guiding star for all other shoe and endorsement deals. His shoes still generated $2.86 billion in revenue for Nike in 2018. Shoes, clothes, video games, trading cards, movies, and TV. Jordan represented the fame and fortune that was possible through sports, and everyone wanted to be like him. This massive $18 million Gatorade endorsement deal and campaign signified the ever-growing attention on sports and growth as an industry. Aspiring athletes were in a frenzy to be the next Michael Jordan. Behind the TV screen, premier athletes were being introduced to advanced training and medical techniques to help them jump higher, run faster, and hit harder. 
1986, exercise physiologist John Frappier traveled with the United States national team to Russia, where he witnessed Russians incorporating overspeed training and neuromuscular training using electrical stimulation to trick the body into doing more than it had previously thought it could. For example, towing was a technique where athletes held onto the back of a vehicle and attempted to keep up as the speed increased. Their experiments to push the limits of human performance validated some training techniques and standards, and by 1989, Frappier understood these boundaries and established his own metrics to test and develop training programs and early equipment. Collegiate and NFL football players began working with Frappier, reporting tremendous improvements in speed and strength. This training was exclusive, but a strong desire to make it to the professional leagues impacted the pursuit of athletic scholarships, which ultimately reshaped the landscape of youth sports. Today, youth sports are nearly a $17 billion industry, creating a dangerously hyper-competitive pipeline. We sought out to change youth athletics and how it was trained and how you treated some of the, the injuries that uh, were, were starting to come up in youth athletics that you really you, you saw in college or, or pro sports, you know, yeah. severe tendonitis, you know, things, things that really shouldn't come about in, you know, a 13 or 14 year old. We were seeing those things happen. That's Dr. Bo Daniels, co-founder and director of Integrated Sports Medicine at Mamba Sports Academy. In the United States today, about 30 million children and teens participate in some form of organized sports. Approximately 3.5 million of them get hurt annually playing sports or participating in recreational activities, and overuse injuries are responsible for nearly half of their sports injuries. Competitiveness and a lack of understanding of proper training has led children to specialize in one sport from a young age playing year-round and overexerting themselves in many cases. In recent years, sports performance centers have become more available to the public, notably facilities like Mamba Sports Academy. We had the opportunity to visit the flagship location in Thousand Oaks, California. Originally opened as Sports Academy in 2016 by CEO and founder Chad Faulkner, this 100,000-square-foot facility operates five basketball courts, five volleyball courts, two indoor beach volleyball courts, a turf field, a comprehensive sports medicine practice for medical therapy and rehabilitation, a biomechanics lab, a world-class cognitive training lab, an e-sports training ground, batting cages and pitching mounds, close-quarters defense training, Gracie Barra Jiu-Jitsu school, a Mondo Sprint Track, a Learning Center for Academy Tutoring and Training, and a Yoga Cycling Studio. In 2018, Sports Academy and NBA legend Kobe Bryant partnered, rebranding to Mamba Sports Academy. Kobe, another model for toughness and commitment to your craft, now in retirement, is committed to educating and empowering the next generation of kids through sports. Sports Academy's perfection of the art and science of athletic training, superior service, and attention to detail caught his eye. Their collective goal is to provide an effective, safe, and transparent overall human performance training to develop athletes to reach the peak of their potential, from elite players to young kids just yeah, getting awesome. started. He came in and had the vision. Chad Faulkner, CEO, a couple of his partners, his spouse, his wife Leah, 
they had a vision of like we can turn this into a wonderland for athletes disney world for athletes yeah and the vision they had to have to do that was incredible Svi Tversky, Chief Marketing Officer at Malva Sports Academy, gave me a tour of the facility. So we just walked past someone holding firefighter equipment. Yeah, so Tell me we, a little bit about Yeah, we train, um, and this blew my mind, but we train both prospective firemen and firewomen and fire people, people train for the program, and people in the program. What blows me away is you train them in their equipment because when they're doing those movements, they're yeah. in their equipment. You gotta run up the building, you yeah. gotta do this, go to that, you do it in your equipment. So they're training 30, 50 pounds of equipment. Wow. Doing stuff specifically prescribed for them. So stuff that will help them in their day to day job. Yeah. Which is truly the biggest differentiator for us is just purposeful training. Yeah. In walking around the space and speaking to the team, purposeful, intentional, and detailed are common themes that I heard and saw. We entered the double height atrium lobby with an industrial yet modern vibe, a lot of wood, metal, and glass, yet softened with a plush, dark brown leather furniture. It's a style that says, I'm getting ready to put in work, but also has the cool feel of a lounge or sophisticated tech office. ACLs are right, your knees are right, your thighs are right, your calves are right, your body's are right. It's actually engaged in the pursuit that you enjoy. Yeah. You know, spend 20 minutes doing this. The guy leading the task of getting the body right is Dr. Bo Daniels, Director of Integrated Sports Medicine. During the tour, I stopped by and spoke with him about the design of the facility and medical area. Yeah, it, you know, it all starts from you walk in, you feel safe. Wow, this is a safe environment. And then you have the ability to, to go, oh, man, this, there's medical here. There's some, some things to here, take care of myself and recovery. Mm-hmm. All those things play a part. And, and so when you walk in, the message is it's not written, it's felt. When you go to a hospital or you go to the doctor's office, it has a certain feel to it, right? Yeah. And there's, there's a reason for that. And, you know, it's, it's shut off from the outside because there are laws that prevent direct openness, right? Yeah. But what we didn't want to do is create a hospital environment where it felt stuffy and it felt like you were injured or sick or, or you know, you got that feeling like, oh, man, I have to go here again. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a certain feel when you walk up that it's different. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels different. It looks different. But we're still compliant with all the laws that negate us to just have everything open. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was the idea. The idea was to create an organized way where we can bounce around from room to room, talk, and uh, we have the ability to have multiple practitioners in a small area with the same patients, the same, the rooms are interchangeable from physical therapist to athletic trainer to chiropractor to MD to orthopedic surgeon. We're all using the same rooms. Mm-hmm. So a patient can come in, see an orthopedic surgeon. They're like, oh, you know what? You need physical therapy. They're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come here for physical therapy? We can set it up. They can stay in that same room. The doctor leaves. Uh, the physical therapist comes in and begins physical therapy. Or we walk right out. We're all in the same space, and we get to talk about that case. And you get multiple opportunities to discuss from multiple angles. Yeah. Hey, what's the best way to treat this patient? Or what's best for this patient? And so when designing the space, you design it so that it's multi-purpose. It has a collective environment, and it doesn't feel like you're sick or you're injured. It feels like a community. Yeah. And that was the idea here. So, you know, when we walk through here, there's a lot of doors, there's a lot of offices, but they're all in this community. Yeah. And so 
when you think about it that way, it starts to make sense because you get into that back space and it's like, oh, everyone's out here hanging out. People start to get to know each other. I know a bunch of physical therapy patients that I never see. Yeah. And I know everything about them, right? And it's just because we interact. And so that was the idea as far as what to create from a feel standpoint. And then at the end of this hall, you'll see a big room that we do some of the minor physical therapy in or the rehab or the, the you know, more basic exercise. And that's that community feel. Yeah. Then you walk right outside and there's windows and that's sports performance. Okay. So there's a, there's a transition type of segment which exists both visually and, and, and in actuality, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're transitioning into this return to play. And then, you know, you kind of work with the practitioner, work with the performance trainers so that there's this seamless opportunity to get back to your sport. Mm-hmm. So if you're a basketball player, you do all these drills in here, you're, you're ready to jump around and move, but are you ready to play basketball? Mm-hmm. There's a big jump, right? And we hope that athletes are ready for that jump in, in a normal scenario, but what we do is we go out on the court. Mm-hmm. You'll see our physical therapists, our chiropractors, everybody, they're out on the court, they're out on the turf, and that's what makes us unique, and that's why we're set up this way, mm-hmm. is they're out in the weight room. And so we have the ability to bridge that gap very strategically because of the way we're set up. Mm-hmm. And so from a, from a layout standpoint, that flow is very intentional. Mm-hmm. And, and so you go through the sports performance, the weight room type area. Mm-hmm. We have a track. We have the turf. We have batting cages. We have courts, uh, hard courts. We have sand. So we have all these different surfaces with all this different space and the ability to go and, and train for the right purpose. After seeing the integrated sports medicine department, we walked over to the weight room where Nate Barunda, director of sports performance, highlighted the attention to detail that goes into laying out the strength and conditioning space for maximum efficiency. And just a heads up, it's an active weight room, so it's a noisy atmosphere intended to keep you hyped for your workout. We have the teams, so the weight room needed to be designed in a way that it would allow for all the different populations that we have to be able to work seamlessly with each other. Because otherwise, you run into a facility that's big and nice, but it's not functional. So a lot of the groups would not be able to get the maximal benefit out of their workout and then also it would create a jam it wouldn't create a positive flow for the coaches and since we have um, a wide variety of coaches on staff there's something that's always going on in the weight room so there's what we call the msa8 and that's kind of how we formulate our training programs so when the athletes first come in here they know the area that is designated for prehab warm-up trigger point rolling, movement, plyometrics, things like that. And then after that, they complete those segments, they move on to the seconds and the third and the fourth and the fifth, and it kind of weaves its way through the weight room so that when someone's done, they should be either completing their work on the uh, indoor uh, 40-meter track that we have here, or they're completing their rest and recovery and cool-down and activation on the outside turf over here. So they'll have the ability to basically do everything inside their program, but it flows nicely so you can set up with multiple groups, multiple athletes, so that there's never this crossover. It's always just a seamless, like, one person starts, the next follows, and next follows, and next follows. From the weight room, we walked the gym floor between the basketball courts and indoor beach volleyball courts. If hearing about sand indoors set off warning bells in your head like it did mine, 
Stacy Bivens, director of facilities management, gave some insight into that install. It was 29 truck and trailer loads of sand that we had to get in the building. What was the solution there? (laughs) They would back it up, and we had about 20 guys in there shoveling sand. Oh, my God. Because they couldn't back all the way in. Yeah. So it was a lot of of labor, a lot of manpower. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and just walking along where this may be part of having the sand there but um just walking along you have like actual ventilation built into the walls so it seems like it's an afterthought okay so when we had players practicing in the sand nobody ever thought that the dust would cover the courts Mm -hmm. and when you're playing basketball you don't want to be slipping around yeah so we came up with the exhaust fans we removed the glass Mm -hmm. and the contractor just thought about it, put it together, and it works famously. Yeah. So when we have the big-ass fans, which that's what they're called. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm, spinning, I'm familiar with them. And the exhaust fans on, what it does is it creates its own weather pattern and blows the sand back towards the wall, and the exhaust takes it right out of the building. The second floor consists of offices, lounge areas, a large loft that overlooks the courts, a yoga and cycling studio, the jiu-jitsu studio, and CQD close quarter defense training space. One of the very few locations in the world that provides this exclusive and world-renowned training. Quarter defense. God, I'm just making sure that people are, you know, safe out there in the wide world. Yeah. And whether that means you are, you know, in the army or in the police or a fireman. Mm-hmm. Or whether you're just a regular man or woman walking down the block, you know, alone at night in the yeah. city. We have trainers who work with you here on teaching you different mechanisms and, and different um, mentalities and just different ways of like staying safe and, and watching your back and knowing what to do in situation X, Y, and Z. So this build out kind of reflects, um, you know, different simulations of what you might see. So you have these, um, like, uh, yeah, inflatable, inflatable brick walls that, yeah. you know, literally are meant to simulate city streets and different cityscapes. And so these can move around. Uh, it looks like, and you, you can, can change you can out exactly the, the setting of the room, room, exactly, and change the lighting in the room. And interestingly enough, yeah, you actually this sort of like a one-way glass. You have an observation room on the other side, oh. so people can observe, and you know. And again, it's it's human performance, not sports performance. You know, it's yeah. about being a better human and a better person, and whether that's physically or mentally, like this side of that. But it doesn't stop at the physical development level. The Sports Venture Lab is home of their eSports ground. This is going to be the best setup you can get in the area. Oh my and God. this is the next gen of training. So it's actually quiet crazy. the same way sports performance has the music blasting because that's what everyone's going. And here a lot of guys are on headsets or whatnot. So like you can see, just top of the line equipment, the same way that for me, the basketball has got to be right. The mouse has to be right here. Mm-hmm. The keyboard has to be aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're using that three, four, six, eight hours a day, all of that stuff becomes important. Yeah. And what we're really trying to integrate here. Um, so it's like the ergonomics that you... That's it. Yeah. That's it. All that. And the cognition lab is where athletes go to improve reaction time, awareness, and mental endurance. In general, our cognitive training lab, what we do is we focus on the core functions mm-hmm. in the brain um, that, as it relates to um, athletic performance. So basically think about it an athlete's executive functions. So, mm-hmm. you know, reaction time, um, cognitive processing, you know, just general processing capacity, 
um, uh, audio processing, visual processing, all these different um, skills that that just really relate and transfer to slowing the game down on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, this is a kind of an overview of our um, what our platform looks like. So um, and I'll just run through a quick overview of each of the tasks. So this would be simple reaction time. Um, spatial, now, now it gets more complex. So um, this is a spatial processing. How this works is you'll see this triangle. It'll rotate around that dial, like switching directions, mm-hmm. and it's going to change colors from green to orange. So if it pops up green, you hit the uh, stimulus it's pointing to. If it pops up orange, then you hit behind. <laughs> yeah, so it now gets more complex because everything in your brain is telling you, hit the point, yeah. right? But now you have to. Steel Frey, manager of marketing and development, gave me a demo of their system. Point, yeah. point you got it? is You're green. Yeah. The weird thing is that you start to anticipate yep. in your mind. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and that's where you get into trouble. Exactly. And because you're, because you're thinking, right? Yeah. So we're trying to, so we obviously like put it on a, a lot higher intensity, yeah. like, and, but it's progressive, you know? Yeah. So mo- for the most part, everyone kind of starts at that level. Yeah. And then as you, as you progress, people like you, you, you automatically train to stop thinking yeah. right? because you're just getting used Reacting. to the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the whole goal is to like train these different skills um, in, in your brain, speed them up in super high motor. And, and so everything just like starts becoming slowing down and becoming like subconscious yeah. you know, as far as like the thinking process. So uh, let's talk real quick about the space in general. Yeah. So we have the shades kind of blacking yeah. out, walls are all black. Mm-hmm. Is it more about trying to hone your attention in on yep. just that screen? Yep, okay. yep, exactly. And that, and that's um, that's a big part of like the different changing environments. Like we're putting in lighting, um, those, that's what those are for as well, where um, they'll have like spotlights that shine on like the person that's in the lead. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, so it'll be all dark in here, but yeah. there'll be a spotlight on the person that's that's in the lead to add just that more of that little yeah. like external pressure, yeah. you know, kind of thing. After a workout, athletes can stop by the recovery suite, which is a prominent space on the way out, acting as a reminder to make sure that you recover. You don't just jump in your car. Yeah. <laughs> you don't just jump in your car. That's when you go home and you're like, wow, why am I so sore? I yeah. can't do this again tomorrow. Come in here get a massage, maybe you get some stim, sit down and get the Norman Tech boots to get the blood flow going in your legs. Mm-hmm. You spend another, you spend an hour, hour and a half working out, it should knock you out for two days. Yeah. Put in an extra 15 to 20 minutes of recovery, which is gonna change your outlook. You're like, wow, I feel great, yeah. I feel good. Like, that is taking care of your body. And that's the holistic approach we talk about. Yeah, so like when LeBron's spending 45 minutes or whatever yeah, or, or Kawhi, like an NBA hour. players in those boots you yeah. see them post on Instagram like you know this is what I'm wearing this is what I'm doing like that's you'll how they come in here on a Sunday <laughs> to our basketball format and you'll see 16 12 year olds lined up wearing the same boots yeah NBA players have made it cool and have raised awareness around it and we're like but it's good for you also yeah no matter who you are and we're gonna bring that to you yeah and that's how you're after walking the facility, there is no doubt in my mind that high-performing individuals and major athletic talent will emerge from this program. In addition to the superior services and attention to detail that the Sports Academy already established, Kobe Bryant's philosophy and approach to his career will help inspire future generations, but now they have the tools to train effectively and safely.
he also made it this mystical, almost biblical thing where wow, he woke up at 3 a.m. Wow, he woke up at 5 a.m. and kind of gave people this challenge of like, same thing we do here where we look at these muses and we say, if Anthony Davis is doing X and 12 year old Andy is doing X, mm -hmm. it's possible. And it's the same thing if this, if this guy who physically his build isn't crazy, you know, he's not LeBron, he's mm -hmm. not Zion, he's not Bill Russell, you know, he's just slightly taller than average dude mm -hmm. with otherwise, you know, normal physique. If he can accomplish this by sheer force of will, by hard work, by smart work, by mastering his body and his mind, by truly reaching the peak of his potential and leaving nothing untapped, why can't I do that? Why can't you do it? And then people really started studying it. And then by accident or on purpose, this, this mob mentality just became the nomenclature mm -hmm. for that level of work, for that mindset. Now you can't escape it, you know, whether it's a Fortune 500 CEO, the eight-year-old coming here, D-Wade hitting a game winner in his last season, you do something otherworldly, amazing, in the clutch, just got the mama mentality. <laughs> For us, that's that's part and parcel of what we do. We're Mamba Sports Academy. You come here to catch and to bottle the mama mentality. You know, this is a holistic approach. If you do all of these guided steps, you're on the path. And that's it, you know, there's, there's certainly only one Kobe. His mindset, the way he approaches everything is different. But just to have that as the news for like, this is what I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. And if you shoot for the moment and you miss, you're still gonna land among the stars. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal for everyone else out here. So, what'd you think, Michelle? Awesome. <laughs> One thing I wanted to uh, start with is the CQ, CQD. Couldn't really take pictures. It's kind of a private sort of thing. And it's a, like I mentioned, it's a very exclusive training program. Um, this guy developed it over years. He's like started in martial arts. And the story is that he um, he went to a bar and he's like extremely well trained in martial arts. I think he was in, in the army and all this other stuff. Felt fairly confident that he could defend himself. And the story goes that he was in a bar and some guy just walked up and punched him and like either knocked him out or knocked him down. Hmm. Either way, he felt with all this training, this guy was able to hit me still. This training doesn't mean anything. So he wanted to create his own workout, which is the close quarter defense. And uh, it's pretty interesting that because I actually went there twice and one person that showed me around, he went through the training and he pointed out that when he's walking around, he keeps his hands up by his chest at all times. Interesting. And they, they kind of break you down mentally and get you to think in this constant, it doesn't seem like it's healthy, <laughs> but you're in this like constant awareness. What's coming at me? Yeah, you're yeah. like a cat. Right, right. <laughs> so your hands are up. <laughs> And uh, you're just like constantly ready for anything. That sounds like paranoia. Yeah. So, um, so in this space, they have these the inflatable walls that we talked about, and they can change it around. And they told me that they do uh, police training, hmm. and what they one of the scenarios or something similar that they did is that they they um, they black it out to some extent, and then they have strobe lights going. 
and there's loud music playing. It's a lot of input that your brain is trying to decipher. Yeah. And some will, they'll have actors that run up and do different things. Some will come up with a gun and shoot you. Mm. Or someone will run up and say, I need help. And you have to, with everything that's going on, be able to decipher the situation and recognize, don't shoot this person, help them, or or whatever the situation is. Right. And they have the observation deck that he talked about. And uh, there was a situation where this guy kept going through and it was like constantly someone popping up and shooting and shooting and shooting. And then he went through one more time and somebody jumped up and said, help, I need help. And he shot them immediately. Hmm. And uh, and they just like start to kind of break down that sort of thing. And it's interesting to hear and you think about the stuff that police have to go through and trying to decipher all these different inputs and crowds that build up and darkness and just not knowing what's going on and you're trying to decipher how do i handle this situation yeah. so it was yeah. interesting and i'm glad it exists and they're starting this training for people but um hmm. yeah it's cool so that was neat well you know prior to you introducing us to mamba i'd never heard of it yeah and i i wonder how many other facilities like this exist Mm -hmm. i mean this one's in thousand oaks it's in ventura county you know which is 45 miles outside of of los angeles kind of to the northwest um i wish there was one nearby yeah you know i'm i'm interested in how do we you know the the video that we just watched it it has clearly athletes that are (laughs) like for real athletes right i mean these people are it seems like spend their careers are being athletic training, right? Yeah. So some of those people that you guys saw uh, for the people that are here live, those are actual players. So Aaron Donald is a uh, plays on the Rams. Okay. Um, I don't think I put him in there, but like Anthony Davis, people from the Lakers all go there. So they all train at this Mamba facility. Yeah. Yeah. Or have trained. Right. I don't know that they do it all the time, but they have been there. Right. So. And so the question I have is, how does that then translate to the? average athlete or like the you and me right yeah. like and i'm pretty athletic and i yeah. stay very active and i'm part of certain fitness i, I think regimes. it depends on what you want to do mm-hmm. so like someone that just wants to work out and just be healthy it's probably not for them necessarily um could be if you if it's really important to you but like for you with the cycling if you want to get better yeah they can help you get better and it's very uh, targeted how they work you right. through this their system. So um, so like one of the things that they talked about is recovery, which most people don't do. Right. <laughs> it helps you get back to your sport faster. So like all these athletes that are, um, you know, playing back to backs or every other night, like the reason they can get back is because they go through this whole recovery process. Sure. Um, and the design of the space that they had, which is really cool because they thought through it. There's like, it was like a method to the madness. Uh, when you walk in, um, you pretty much, you, after the lobby, there's, uh, just trying to mentally walk you through it. But, uh, after the lobby, there's an area where there's the bio, uh, was it biotech, uh, biomechanics. And that's where you kind of test your body and see if you're compensating one way or another. Hmm. That is so cool to do. Yeah. And if you are, then you can talk to, uh, you can either go to the the medical lab, which is right there, 
or if you don't need to go that far then you can go beyond to there's like a sort of he mentioned like the halfway point and there is a photo that we showed uh the recovery room um and that's where they can kind of work you out a little bit more and help you get through whatever it is you're working on gotcha and then you can see through that window the weight room and I, one of the questions i posed to the the um the trainer was do you guys have an issue with people that are injured seeing the weight room and wanting to get out there and they're like why are you holding me back when they mentally think hmm. that they're good yeah and you know they probably need another day or whatever and he's like yeah but usually people will um you know they can kind of talk them through it but it, it does serve as a motivator to get you back uh you know you you take your uh, your recovery serious sure. uh so that you can get back sooner yeah yeah huh. so then you get to the weight room and then from the weight room is the gym and uh so you have the um basketball courts and the um sand uh the volleyball so all of that's right there. So you're kind of working this circle. And then once you come back and you're exiting, the recovery is right there. It's like huge. And right. It's all glass. So you can clearly see into it and you see people getting treatment. Like, uh, I probably should stop and get yeah, recovery. Yeah. So. Well, there's also, for this particular academy, mm -hmm. there are certain sports that aren't represented, right? So we talked about ice hockey or yeah. field hockey. Um, yeah. Golf maybe is not represented golf is incredibly technical yeah so they have they have that big turf space uh -huh. that they use to to pick up uh stuff like golf and tennis and things like that okay. so you can do workouts and they kind of craft workouts there so it's very flexible in that way that they can accommodate a lot they don't have the ice but um they have workouts that they can do yeah. with people to help them you know um, work out the muscles that they need mm -hmm. so okay so it's it's very interesting but going back to your other question of how many are there there are other sports performance places most people probably have seen some that are very geared towards a specific sport um or they're uh they're sort of not to this level obviously this is like a full campus and uh, I don't think any really have the level of medical staff that these uh, that Mamba Sports Academy does. Um, so, but they they are out there. They're just I don't know that any are to this level. Right. But it was it was an experience seeing it. Uh, Laura, did you have any questions? With this, I'm definitely curious about the demographics, uh, but also if other like doctor's offices have thought about coupling with gyms to be there. Cause I think the really cool idea with having it all in one place would be, I would expect elite athletes, they have their routines, they're set in their routines. So when you get injured to have to go to different offices, you're breaking that routine yeah. and to get back in would be hard. So to still be going to the same place, I think is an interesting idea so that they stay in that rhythm, at least, even if it's not working out, they're still going to a place where they're working towards their goal. And I think that idea is really intriguing to me. Hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was one of the things and they talked about 
kind of going piggybacking off of that, being able to stay in one location, you know, some people work out in the sand to to help with um, some mobility yeah. and strength. Agility and, and all yeah. that, right. So, so right. they have everything there. You can go and train in the sand. You can train, I think he mentioned it too, they have all these different surfaces and they can accommodate your need, whatever it is. Um, but yeah the same like you don't have to go anywhere right if you get injured there you take a few steps or get carried over to the the medical staff and they you know tend to you and and get you on your way and you're going home and then coming back for your next session or whatever but um and then the the mental part that they they um have introduced the esports which was crazy to me because they're the first that i've heard of to full like first sports people to fully embrace esports wow. as a sport and mm-hmm. i cut it out but he actually mentioned that they're trying to figure out workouts for esports people mm. how do you improve their workout from or how do you help them sit as long as they have to sit uh minimize the wrist pain or whatever ailments that they deal with like how do you minimize that and improve their their efficiency yeah and then that uh the cognitive cognitive lab that was crazy too to to play those games it really is kind of a a mind warp when you're in there because everything is black and they dim the lights all you see is that screen and, and you're kind of locked in and it starts to build this just normal pressure so it's uh it's cool. So for any of the training that you witnessed or just in terms of how the programming works, is it typically like a one on one or small group to you know, one trainer, one professional? So I think the class oriented? For the non professional athletes, okay. it was more of a um group class. So they come in and there's one trainer, sort of like the uh like CrossFit or right. anything like that. Um, but there is a trainer and there, like you mentioned, there's a, a path that they follow in their gym. Um, so they don't, you know, pile up on one, one okay. equipment. But um, yeah, so I think for the non-professional it was more of a class, but I'd imagine if you wanted a single trainer for whatever reason, you could do that. Um, but I'm sure it's more expensive. I would yeah. Assume. Yeah. <laughs> um, the professional ones, I don't think they do groups. Okay. But like the college ones, maybe a little bit okay. from photos that I've seen and kind of looking around. Yeah. So. Well, this particular facility was 100,000 square feet. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, yeah. right? Um, do you think it needed to be that big? Or is it just unique to Mamba's model? I mean. It's so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Because, well, let's see. I mean, let me back up. It depends on what their intent was. So they have a lot of tournaments on the weekends and stuff. And when they have... Well, they the, use the facilities for tournaments. Yes. Okay, so, so it's they, almost open to the public. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, in that sense, they they host tournaments. So I haven't... I didn't get a chance to talk to, like, the CEO and figure out kind of the, the main plan or the... the global plan if it is about facilitating tournaments constantly then yeah that that amount of space would be needed but if it's about just uh normal training 
then they probably could have cut back on some of the courts and the the sand pit. They yeah. could have, you know, they right. could have minimized that a little bit and still been fine. But they they do fill up that all of their courts when they have tournaments and stuff going. Okay. So, do you think also it would be if this is kind of the first of its kind that it would have been harder to add down the road versus build it in now? Yeah, so they they actually had a another space kind of uh, locked down when they were approaching this whole project, and then the deal fell through, hmm. and it just happened to open. This one happened to open up, and I think it was like a medical. Uh, it used to be like a medical production, uh, like product production warehouse. Okay. Um. So. This one happened to open up, and when the CEO saw it, I think he just had this grand vision. My assumption is that he had this bigger grand vision of, I can fill this out and you know get tons of kids in here to to play on these courts and tournaments, and that would be my assumption to see that much space. Um, the facility's in an industrial park, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Okay. And then how was the parking? Ample or? Not enough. I mean, I wonder what it looks like if there is a tournament going on and you have. Yeah. So when I went, there was plenty of parking, but yeah, a tournament I could see pushing that. Yeah. To the max, hmm. <laughs> unless there's kids getting bust in. Yeah. And then their market is five years old through adult. Is that right? Uh, so their target demo is right around fourteen to like twenty-five. I think he said. Somewhere right in that window. Okay. And um, yeah, and it, but they do get people younger and older. That's great. But I wanted to also mention before we get off of this, some of the general things that uh, if you're designing a sports uh, performance facility is uh, we mentioned flexibility, which is huge. And then efficiency on, on their part about how you design it because you want, you know, you want your players to to be efficient with their time and to make sure that they uh, get everything they need to perform at their maximum ability. But one of the things I found interesting when I talked to the the doctor, who's also a co-founder, uh, Dr. What was it? Bo? I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> Daniels. Uh, the interesting thing, I asked him what would he recommend uh, someone that's designing one of these facilities and then kind of specifically leaning towards the medical side. And uh, he said feeling. Hmm. And if you listen back to it, he, he mentioned feeling a lot, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. He, uh, I think when you come down to like medical facilities, it is kind of about you want your patients to be calm and not feel uncomfortable and anxiety start to spike when they come in so and you kind of get that couldn't get photos of it because um, I think it's sort of privacy stuff but that I thought that was interesting yeah that is interesting he did mention a little bit about efficiency with them and how they use one uh, space and the doctors rotate uh, to that patient yep. but um, but feeling was a big thing I was hmm. like huh that was interesting that stood out and then the last was the societal issues. In doing some research, there's actually a decline. So there's 
sort of mixed reports. I only found one that says that sports is on the rise, but there's a a ton of reports that say it's actually on the decline, which I thought was interesting for youth sports. And that is interesting. part of the reasoning was that one, uh, players are becoming more specialized. Okay. So they're not multiple because if they're multiple sport athletes, they they get they can't counted. be the best of the best. Yeah, they get counted for every sport, so okay. it the numbers are inflated. Okay. So now they're going to one single sport, but they're playing AAU and these traveling teams, so mm-hmm. they're playing all year long. Um, and because of that and the AAU structure, a lot of money is getting put pumped into these. So there's a uh, income issue that's rising because of this, because of the co- income equality, because of this gap that's developing. So the people that are in lower income are not participating as hmm. much. Okay. And if you look at what what it takes to develop these sports performance facilities, the cost that it takes to generate them, the staff and all of that. The expertise. The expertise, I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's even the harder part. <laughs> yeah, there's more, that's more money. So yeah. how does that, refl- is that income equality gap just going to get bigger and bigger mm-hmm. over time? And how, or maybe as we evolve, does equipment and do, does, the doctor, the the expertise spread out enough to sort of bring that accessibility to everyone. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves too, because we're still we're like right in the thick of it right now, right? Because this is one of the one and that I know of one of the uh, first facilities to this level. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of trickles out and how that affects things because there's um and then the other part that i mentioned in the history is the injuries um because people are training with uh without uh or uh experienced doctors and trainers so there's a lot of injuries and that's another right. reason people are playing less but right so it's a it's a very evolving uh sport and these facilities i think are gonna kind of ebb and flow because of that as well uh so it'll be a cool thing to see as we progress i know we weren't able to really dive into the costs of you know running the facility um or the construction costs or even just you know what it would take or what it what the costs are for an athlete who wants to you know train there participate in the classes Mm -hmm. maybe we can circle back on that a future episode but yeah um yeah, they mentioned that they uh, they can kind of craft your program and make it I a think, tailored program. Yeah, and yeah. I think the cost so anytime is based you customize something, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, I wish there was one that was closer or something similar to it. Maybe there are, and I'm just not aware. I feel South like I need Bay. to do some research now. South Bay is their second location, but I think you could probably find a sports performance uh, training center nearby. It just may not be to this level. Yeah, no, that was spectacular. Yeah. Okay, uh, Laura, ready for yeah. a quick game? Since you putting won- you on the spot, since you <laughs> since you won our Instagram game, we'll do one one more game for you. And uh, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> if you get really get stuck, maybe I can help you out. But we'll see. <laughs> can Michelle be my lifeline? <laughs> I would not rely on me for help. <laughs> 
I'm happy to do my best, but <laughs> if any any other guests want to jump into the chat, they can give you a, a hint. <laughs> so this game is called Spaces Podcab. Question one: What does the EPA stand for? Uh, Environmental Protection Agency. Yes. Question two, which architectural style was named after a tribe that destroyed artwork? Rococo, Gothic, or Baroque? I'm gonna go Gothic because of the Visigoths. Yes. Oh, wow, right. well done. <laughs> so, I did not know that answer. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Question three, mm. which you mm. talked about it, but you didn't mention this actual answer earlier. Uh, but Laura, which NFL football stadium did we highlight this season? Mercedes-Benz? Yes. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. The Space Needle was built for what event? Uh, World Fair. Yeah. No strikes. I've retained. <laughs> Question five. After the fall, now this is going to our episode today, so let's see if you were listening. <laughs> After the fall of the Greco-Roman empires, the pursuit of a sculpted body was frowned upon until what period? Oh. Did not catch that one. <laughs> it, uh, let's see. This, this will be a strike. <laughs> 1800s. Okay. Okay, question six. That was kind of a hard one. It was super hard. Uh, early concepts of high performance training emerged in what country? Russia. Yes. All right. This is prepping for your uh, your exams. What is the actual size of two by four lumber? One and a half by three and a half. Correct. Okay. Going back to that uh, stadium episode, vertical structural loads can be dead loads, live loads, or impact loads. What type of load is the Mercedes-Benz Stadium retractable roof? Ooh. At least it's multiple choice. <laughs> unlike that, that is very true. At least unlike that um. Roman <laughs> question. Can you go dead No. Final answer? Retractable roof. Live one. Yes. <laughs> I want you to get to this red light challenge. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. Red light challenge. You have six guesses. Name the three celebrities who had a background in the building industry, either school or job. Hugh Jackman, Rachel McAdams, Kanye West, Ice Cube, Channing Tatum, Christopher Walken, 
Harrison Ford, Lucy Liu, Jennifer Hudson, Rowan Atkinson, or Mr. Bean, Barack Obama, Gerard Butler. Why now Kanye West is trying to do stuff in architecture, so I don't know if that counts. Strike that. One. Mm. What about Gerard Butler? Strike two. Really, I'm not good at guessing. <laughs> 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 Can I do any mini mini mo? Uh, Harrison Ford. You got that one. Ooh, one. <laughs> one for three. <laughs> three more guesses. For some reason, I want to say Barack Obama. Oh, strike. Two more, two more guesses and two more people. So you have to be right on both of okay. these. Let's go McAdams. Oh, no. Dang. So you can't get it, so I'll just show you. Harrison Ford, <laughs> really who is a uh, carpenter. Uh, okay. Mr. Bean has a master's in electrical engineering, which I was, like, completely shocked by. And, yeah, that's pretty shocking. And Ice Cube has a degree in architectural drafting. Who knew? Yeah. Question nine. What is the structural part of the stairs called? What do you mean? <laughs> the structural <laughs> part of stairs. Is steps not the right I, answer? <laughs> I feel like you don't want runners and treads. <laughs> no. <laughs> Got five, four, three, two, one. Stringers. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Question 10. Uh, the real estate definition of land includes only what is on the surface of the earth and attached by nature, such as trees. True or false? False. Correct. Question 11. What is a REIT? R-E-I-T. Or... Or AKA, what does the acronym stand for? Do you know this, Michelle? Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, can I call my lifeline? <laughs> uh, oh. oh. Uh, I gave this up. Well, oh. she, she was going to call me and I knew the answer, so. Okay, well, Michelle is going to give it to you. There's 12 <laughs> questions, so we'll get Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. <laughs> Question 12 Which real estate subsector? was least prosperous in 2018 multifamily housing industrial office or retail i feel like i want to say retail retail you made it <laughs> so i survived uh, the pod cab yeah <laughs> so uh we'll get you a you're gonna get this get this anyway but uh, get you a shirt or hat, your choice. You can let me know Ooh, cool. after. That's uh, awesome. Thanks. Thank you again, Laura. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you, guys. The topics are always really interesting, and it's nice to hear different perspectives. So 
Thank you. Thanks for being a listener. Thank you. And thank you for those that joined us live. Uh, if you did not get to see us live, you missed out on some video content and actual visual stuff for the first time. I don't know if we'll put it out. It's pretty cool. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so thank you again for listening. We'll talk next year. Happy New Year. A huge thank you again to Laura for sitting down with us today and for all of the listeners that joined us in this live recording. We really appreciate the support. And a quick thank you to a couple people we forgot to mention at the top of the show, Jason and Francis Shively, who helped out with the previous episode. And for all of our other listeners, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to share with your friends, family, network. Your support is the only way that this show keeps going and growing. So we appreciate it, especially in our downtime. Please make sure to share. And as we promised, a quick rundown of what to expect in season three. We're going to do, so we did evolution of architecture last Mm -hmm. time. We're going to do evolution of construction this time. Have a couple people that I'm trying to reach out to. Um, If you know anyone that would be a good fit, a good guest, feel free to reach out to us uh, for any of these to hello at spacespodcast.com or on social media. You can message us on any of those, whatever is easiest. So evolution of construction, cemeteries, and this project called Recompose. Retail, which we just mentioned, we're going to talk about that. Designing for children, co-working spaces off-grid homes, shipping container buildings, urban parks. Specifically, we're going to talk a little bit more about Santiago uh, Metropolitan Park. That's the one you were talking mm-hmm. about, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Water treatment plant, uh, Eiffel Tower, fire-rated construction. We have tons of fires that come up annually now here in California. And college campuses. going to try and hit all of those. Again, if you know anyone that would be a good fit, please feel free to reach out. Otherwise, we'll talk soon in Season 3. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders. Get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry. With Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. 
And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK, the three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.